Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you all this evening. The folks who braved the rain tonight. I am grateful for the opportunity to be here with you and to uh, share the Word of God. And uh, we're going to go straight into the Word. Uh, if you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 20, we'll go ahead and go into our study tonight. Proverbs chapter 20. I talk all day uh, at work, and uh, so I had to take off early to see if I could keep enough voice to get through this teaching. Uh, so pray for my voice. God is, is doing a work. Uh, even in the worship, God has been doing a great work. Somehow the Lord has just been giving my, my voice back little by little, so I'm grateful for that. We'll go ahead and, uh, and read here. Wine is a mocker, verse 1. Strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The wrath of a king is like the roaring of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Most men will proclaim his own, each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? And if we could have a key verse, this is uh, the verse 7 is probably our key verse. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. A king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. Who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Diverse weights and diverse measures, they're both alike an abomination to the Lord. Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Do not love sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will be satisfied with bread. It is good for nothing, cries the buyer, but when he has gone his way, then he boasts. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Take the garment of one who is surety for a stranger and hold it as a pledge when it is for a seductress. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel wage war. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord and dishonest scales are not good. A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vows. A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. The spirit of a man is 
the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Mercy and truth preserve the king, and by loving kindness he upholds his throne. The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. Let's pray. Father, your word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, it is powerful even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And Lord, as we sit at your feet tonight beholding your word as a mirror, we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes that we may see you and we may see ourselves. Lord, we pray that this would not only be a mere intellectual exercise in your word, but it would be an eye-opening and mind-renewing and heart-transforming encounter with your truth. Holy Spirit, I can do nothing. I am less than nothing. But you, Lord, with your power, enable us to do more than we could ever imagine. And so, Lord, we lean and depend upon you now for your wisdom, your knowledge, your understanding in the word that you have placed before us tonight. So, Lord, we sit at your feet, and we anxiously want to hear from you. We ask this in your precious, precious name. Amen. So, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to go through this chapter uh, chapter 20, I have as a title, Walking in, in, in Integrity. Uh, but as you can see, as we went through chapter 20, it, there's a lot of meat in there. Um, so it's, there's more in here than just integrity, but there was a, it was a melody line that I traced through there that seemed to uh, really line up with integrity. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to do, as has been the, the, uh, the pattern with those who have come uh, and shared out of Proverbs before. We're going to do a thematic study, uh, just as we have done before. And Proverbs, uh, without doubt, is a challenging book. If you, if you have ever tried to organize a study or a lesson out of, out of Proverbs, it's a really challenging book. It's a great devotional book. Um, you know, reading it uh, each day as a, as a devotional, just the truths just kind of just pop right out. But when you're trying to put together a study, is really challenging, and part of it is because it's, it's what's called wisdom literature. And they have Greek literature, there's a lot of wisdom literature from the, from the ancient days. And uh, Proverbs like Psalms and Song of Solomon and uh, Ecclesiastes, they're poetry. And so there's not this narrative or this prose or this kind of melody line that just tells the story. There are a few chapters in, in Proverbs at the beginning that, that tell a story to kind of narrate. But once you get to the meaty center like this part where we're in, it's, the, the verses seem rather random. Uh, but there's nothing random about the Lord, of course. So nevertheless, it is the Spirit-breathed Word of God. And so it is to our benefit as believers that you know, we roll up our sleeves, we dig in, and we study together and see what the Lord has uh, to say through His Word. And I like what John MacArthur said. It was very helpful to me. He said, wisdom literature is part of the whole of Old Testament truth. The priest gave the law. 
The prophet gave a word from the Lord, and the sage or the wise man gave his wise counsel. In Proverbs, Solomon the sage gives insight into the knotty issues of life which are not directly addressed in the law and the prophets. And, and so you see the place of these wisdom, of the wisdom literature of, of Proverbs. Because, I mean, there is, a, there is the, thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? There is the, you shall not have unto, unto you any graven image. But how do you just deal with people? How do you just interact with people? How do we just carry ourselves? What does wisdom look like? What does foolishness look like? And, and Proverbs expounds on those things as the Holy Spirit leads. So we're going to take a, an approach, again, a thematic approach tonight, and, and we're going to organize our study around two main thoughts. Firstly, what does this chapter reveal to us about God? And then secondly, how does this chapter instruct us to live? Because as I was going through and studying uh, and preparing and, and seeking, you know, Lord, where do you want me to go with this? First thing that hit me is, Tell, what does the book tell me about tell about me about the Lord? And it reminded me of Exodus chapter twenty, you know, where the Lord says, you know, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, right, out of the house of bondage. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. So it, it just kind of it zapped me like a lightning bolt, saying, read what it says about me, and then what I say about you. And so the first thing we're going to look at is what did the chapter reveal to us about God? And so there are six verses here uh, in this chapter that make specific reference to the Lord. Verses 10, 12, 22, 23, 24, and 27. And we're going to kind of go through each of those uh, first, and then we will switch to the how does the chapter instruct us to live. So the first thing we find uh, in verses 10 and also in verse 23 is that God honors integrity and he despises dishonesty. We see in verse 10, the diverse weights and diverse measures are both alike, an abomination to the Lord. We see a very similar verse in verse 23, diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord, and dishonest scales are not good. And anytime you see a, re a repeat verse, there's an emphasis. God never makes a mistake. So if he's repeating himself, he's intending to emphasize a particular truth. And he uses this word, abomination, and it, I had to look it up because that's one of those big words, you know, and we throw it around very easily. So when I looked it up, I saw that abomination is a Hebrew, the Hebrew word for abomination is toebah. There are actually three Hebrew words for abomination. Um, one pertaining to unclean animals, uh, one pertaining to how we relate to uh, unbelievers, but this one, toebah, is actually the worst of the three. So of the three Hebrew words that describe abomination, this is the worst. And here uh, are some of the other abominations that the Bible uh, uses this word, this, these toebah abominations, worship of pagan idols, sorcery and divination or fortune telling or sexual immorality. So really what the Lord is saying is that Diverse uh, weights and diverse measures are of the same class to the Lord as worshiping pagan idols, as sorcery and divination and fortune-telling and sexual immorality. And you don't have to turn there, but Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 13 through 16, and there will be a lot of verses tonight, a lot of passages of Scripture, so uh, just buckle up. 
Uh, so Deuteronomy 25, 13 through 16 says, You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and a light. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure, that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God has given you. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination, toabah, to the Lord your God. So what's this thing about differing uh, weights and measures? So imagine you were uh, going to the, to the butcher shop and you're ordering you know, a pound of ham. If they were to tweak that scale so that a pound is not really a pound to make you pay more for the ham, but when they buy ham and they buy it by the pound, they tweak it again so that they pay less for the ham, then that's what's, that's what's happening. That's the diverse weights and diverse measures. They use one weight to buy, one weight to sell, so that they can spend as little, the merchants would spend as little as possible on the merchandise, but then sell it at a, as high a price as they could, and it was, it was a dishonest uh, way of doing business. And so the Lord looked at that, and, and he said that that's an abomination, this dishonesty in business where you buy uh, at, at, an, at an unfairly low price and you sell at an unfairly high price and, and, you, and you portray it as if, oh, it's all above board, that is an abomination in the Lord's eyes. So what's that have to do with us? I mean, I'm not a dishonest merchant. I don't even sell anything. Um, well, we do in a way. Every day we go to work, we sell our services for a price. Right? I sell my eight hours a day for a price. And I desire a day's pay for a day's work. But can we honestly say that we are always earnestly working for that pay? Do we ever slack off to surf the web or play on our smartphones or goof around? You know, are we always using the time that we're, that we're selling to our employer in the way that we should? That doesn't mean, I mean, you know, we have flexible work, workplaces you know, yes, I can look, you know, check, check my email on my phone, my personal email, but how are we being good stewards of the time that the Lord gives us? Or how about this? Have you ever held others to a higher standard than you do for yourself? I know I have. Ever notice how easy it is to judge other people by, uh, by their actions, but judge ourselves by our motives? I just did this just last, just the, the other week. Uh, I had to apologize for something that I had done um, I had offended my wife, and in my justification, I told her I had good motives. So you shouldn't feel so bad because I meant well by what I did. But even though I meant well, she judged me by what I did, which is the right way to judge, right? So have you ever done that? Have, have you ever held other people to a different standard than you do for yourself? That double standard is an abomination. It's toebah in the eyes of the Lord. Let's look at number two. God is the source of spiritual revelation and discernment. This verses 12 and 27. So the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. And then the spirit of the man is, is uh, a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of the heart. So let's look at verse 12 first. Notice he says the hearing ear and the seeing eye. wonder why he doesn't just say the ear and the eye. I mean, it seems pretty simple. I believe that he, he specifies the hearing ear and the seeing eye because there are ears that don't hear and there are eyes that don't see. 
And almost always in the Bible, when you see this metaphor of hearing ear and seeing eye, you, you see it in John, uh, in, in the Revelation with the Apostle John, says, he who has an ear to hear, not just he who has an ear, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Almost every time when you see that, those pairings, it really speaks to the moral state or the will of man. So it's not just the physical ear or the physical eye. It's speaking to the heart of men. And I believe that's what, what the Lord is saying here, that the belief or the refusal to believe in God's truth is on display here in this verse, verse 12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. You may recall when Jesus said to his disciples, uh, right around the, the time of the parable of the sower, he says, therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he quotes from Isaiah, Isaiah 6, he says, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. And look how he describes it. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, because that's what he's getting at, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And also Paul, when he recounted his conversion in Acts 26 uh, to, uh, to Agrippa, King Agrippa, these were the words of Jesus that he shared. He said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes. Not their physical eyes, their spiritual eyes. In order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so we see the Lord uses us, us as witnesses to open the eyes of the spiritually blind and to unstop the ears of the spiritually deaf. But he does that also in, con in conjunction with the conscience that he has placed within every single human being to reveal himself. And we see that in verse 27. He says, the spirit of the man is the lamp of the Lord. In the King James Version, that word is candle, the candle of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. A man's conscience uh, in the, the, the Living Bible translation says, a man's conscience is the Lord's searchlight, exposing his hidden motives. And as I mentioned in our prayer this, uh, before we started, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 1 Chronicles 28 and 9 this is David speaking to his son Solomon, giving him uh, the charge to Solomon. He says, as for you, my son Solomon, know the, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. So we see that he is the discerner and the revealer and the source of all understanding and revelation. Let's look at the third one. God is the defender of those who wait on him. Verse 22. It says, do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. Incidentally, it's interesting. He doesn't say, wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. He says, I will save you. And that tells me that we... we Lay it in the Lord's hands for him to do with it as he will. 
You know, sometimes we may we may someone and, and you see that often in Psalms. You know, David says, "Break their teeth." You know, I mean, David's just like, "Get them, Lord, get them." And sometimes that's not God's plan. Whatever glorifies Him, He will save us and He will defend us from the attacks of the enemy. You know, and it's human nature to defend our honor and our good name and to want to get back at those folks who do us harm. But we see Jesus' example in, in 1 Peter 2 and 23. It says, Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten. But look what Jesus said. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. That's, that's the example for us. We should commit ourselves to him who judges righteously. Romans 12, 9 says, Beloved, do not offend your, uh, avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. And it's actually God's wrath, not our own. That wouldn't make any sense. You know, don't avenge yourself, but give place to your wrath. Just go get it. You know, no, give, give, into, uh, give place to God's wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And you also remember Jesus in his parable in Luke 18, when, he's, when he said that we should pray and not faint, and it's talked about the persistent widow who continued to just press and press and press in to the judge. And that example, he says, And shall not, shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? And then he answers his own question. He says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. So God is the defender of those who wait on him. And then fourthly, God is sovereign over the affairs and ways of men. This is probably my favorite. Uh, it spoke most to me. Uh, it was by divine appointment that you and I came face to face with our sin and our Savior. It's also by divine appointment that every day we continue to persevere in this walk with Him. In Psalm 37, 23 and 24, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and He delights in His way. Even though he falls, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. My father gave me that verse when I was wrestling with whether or not I should marry Sharonda. And, you know, I'm serving the Lord, and I want to make sure that I'm marrying the right girl. You know, what if she's the wrong one, Lord? And it really terrified me because, you know, I wasn't the divorcing type. I'm the child of a divorce. And I know, I know the wreckage that that causes to the children. And so, and, and Sharonda had a child as well. And so I'm like, Lord, I don't know. I don't want to get into something and be stuck with the wrong person for the rest of my life. And in all my prayer and seeking, my father shared that verse, Psalm 37, 23. He said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Even though he falls, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. If you are seeking and searching for the Lord's will in your life, earnestly with all you have, he said, you can't make a wrong move. And I was like, man, that is so true. You can't make a wrong move. I mean, God is not like, you know, the, the dude on let's make a deal, right? He's not like, you know, oh, shoot, if you had picked door number two, oh, man, there would have been a new car. You know, oh, but you picked door number three, so all you get is a blender, or a beanbag chair or something. No, God doesn't do that. God takes our number two being the wrong door and somehow makes it right because he is the sovereign over the affairs of the ways of men. Somehow, someway, and, and I, there's been so many different illustrations of it that have been helpful to me. One, one illustration is imagine you're on a cruise ship 
And you have all the freedom in the world to go on any deck of the ship you want at any time. And you decide, today I think I want to go on the top deck and get a little sun. And tomorrow I want to go to the dining hall and feed my face. And I have full right to make that decision. But not a single decision that I make will alter the course of that ship. That ship is going where the captain is sending it, regardless of what I want to do while I'm on the ship. And that's a tiny, tiny, doesn't even really describe God's sovereignty. But it helped me to just visualize that I can't make a wrong move when I'm seeking and searching the Lord. And Jeremiah said that you will search for me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And two verses that uh, you all have often heard me, heard me quote, they have been tremendous blessings to me. These are anchor verses to me. And that's why I said this, uh, this revelation of the Lord is so powerful and so, such a blessing to me. You all probably have heard me say till I'm blue in the face, all the days of my life were written in your book before any of them came to be. Psalm 139, 16. All the days of my life were written in your book before any of them came to be. I shared that with my kids one time. We were standing there talking. I said, do you know that in the book of my life, the Lord is literally reading right now that on this Saturday, around this time, Tawan stood in the hallway and spoke to his children. And in your book, it's saying, on that Saturday, at this particular time, they stood in the hallway and listened to their dad tell them about this book. I mean, it's like, wow! All the days of my life, and, and as, a, as a parent of, a pro, of prodigals, man, this really, really encourages me. Because I was a prodigal. I was the worst kind of prodigal. I was the hypocritical prodigal. We'll, get, we'll talk about hypocrites later. But I was the hypocritical prodigal. I was the one who was preaching at 16 and ran from the Lord as soon as I graduated from high school who went all through college running from the Lord. I mean, not only should I not have been, should the Lord not have saved me, the Lord should just snatch the breath out of my lungs. He should have, like, zapped me. I mean, to, to serve the Lord on Sunday, leading worship, and spend the whole rest of the week chasing the world and pulling people from the church following me in chasing the world... I mean, I'm surprised that no Sunday a lightning bolt didn't just strike me right there. But all the days of my life were written in his book before any of them came to be. If you have prodigals, the Lord is literally saying, everything is going according to plan. Everything is going according to plan. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to help me for, night, for, for right now because I know y'all don't have kids like my kids. Everything is going according to plan. Your child is running as hard and as fast away from the Lord as they possibly can. They want nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever. But everything is going according to plan. God's got them right where he wants them. Right now. He's got them right where he wants them. And he's not stretching either. He's not like, oh, if I could just get to them. He's like, yeah, I'm right there. Just like David said. He said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I rise up to the heavens, you're there. If they try to go hide under a rock, yeah, God's there. They go try to hide in the corner, yeah, I'm there. 
That's an encouragement to me. I don't know about you, it encourages me. Uh, but the other, another anchor verse to me is Job 23, 8 through 10. It says, look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I, left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. And that reminds me of when I was at, when when my kids were smaller and we I'd take them to the store, we had the mall or whatever, and I would tell my kids, if you can't see me, I can't see you. So if they want to go and you know, you know, they don't want to sit still, they want to go walking around and exploring and finding stuff, and you know, they would lose sight of me. And I would always tell them, if you can't see me, then I can't see you. So make sure you can always see me. Because then you know I can see you. But God is so much greater than that. God says, I, you don't need to see me. I see you. You don't need to see me. That's what, he, that's what Job is saying. I, I look ahead, and I can't see him. I look behind, he's nowhere to be found. When he goes to the left, I can't discern what he's doing. When he goes to the right, I have no idea, I have no clue, but his eyes are on me. And when he brings me through, I'll come forth as gold. And so the question as, as being asked, how can a man understand his way? Psalm 119, 133, it says, Order my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. So before we move to the next section, I just want to uh, mention a few words about the king. Um, four verses in this chapter we hear about the king, the king, the king. And so the king, as you see in verses, uh, verse 2, verse 8, uh, verse 26, verse 28, all referring to the king. Now, of course, the king in these passages, these passages is not referring directly to God, but the character traits that are ascribed to the king in this chapter are reflective of God's character. And so I, I think what the Lord is showing is what the Lord would expect, the virtues that God expects in godly leaders, whether it be leaders in the home or the church or business or government. And there are, four, there are three key themes that we see in verses 2 and 8. We see justice. Uh, the king is, is, a, is, a, is a king of justice. Justice for the offended, justice against the offender. Uh, verse 26, discernment, to sift out w- wickedness. It says he's going to sift out the wicked in verse 26. And then verse 28 is really neat. He says, mercy and truth preserve the king, and loving, by loving kindness he upholds his throne. And so we see mercy and truth and loving kindness. And so you know, we just completed a, a, an election, and you know, these are the qualities that the Lord has spoken in, in Proverbs that a godly king or a godly leader, again, whether church or business or government, should have. Justice, discernment, mercy, truth, loving kindness. These are the things that the Lord is looking for in leaders. Romans 13, 3 and 4, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Again, this is God's standard for leaders. So now let's look at the next section. So first, what does this chapter reveal to us about God? And now, how does this chapter instruct us to live? So again, I am the Lord thy God, who brought you out of Egypt, 
who released you from the house of bondage. Therefore, how shall we live? I believe that there are three themes that are revealed here in chapter 20. You see them on the screen. Choose self-control over impulsiveness. Choose integrity over dishonesty. And choose diligence over laziness. So let's look at the first one. Choose self-control over impulsiveness. And we see in these verses, there are multiple verses. Verse 1 talks about wine, of course, and, and how that it is a mocker. And strong drink is, is a brawler, and whoever is led astray or deceived by it is not wise. And so in this verse, you see how it is easy for us to be overtaken by wine and strong drink without even realizing it. That's what, that's what it really was saying. It said it's a, it's a mocker and it deceives, so we're to stay away from it. And of course, there's no, there's no outright prohibition to drinking wine in the Bible. Uh, however, as you can see, if it's that deceptive, you don't want to go anywhere near it. Stay your distance from it. And especially as a testimony to others. Remember, Paul said, if meat offends my brother or calls my brother to stumble, I will eat no meat. And so be mindful of our testimony when we are out in the, in the public square and that the things that we do are being observed by everyone else. And so we can cause someone to stumble. Even if I, if I say, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. I drink it. And then someone sees and says, oh, it's okay to drink. Well, then I'm just going to drink. And next thing you know, you've caused someone to stumble. So just stay away from it. Uh, also, anger, verse 3, and that's great advice in our politically charged society today. There's a lot of anger, a lot of distrust, a lot of quarrels, it says in verse 3. And so we are to choose self-control. We're to learn to disagree agreeably uh, without starting quarrels or escalating the situation. And does that mean we don't stand for truth? Absolutely we stand for truth, right? The Bible talks about righteous indignation. And, he, and the Lord celebrates those who, who stand for truth in the Word of God. But I'm talking about folks who just are not happy. Uh, like a friend of mine used to say, I'm not happy until you're not happy. Right? And we have folks like that. It's like they just can't, they can't be at peace unless there's no peace. And he wants to start things. So we need to choose self-control. Control that impulse to start or escalate situations. We also see uh, self-control over money in verse 21, especially money gained suddenly without working for it. So winning the lottery or uh, an inheritance. Remember the prodigal son, right? He suddenly got his hands on a bunch of money, and he very, just as quickly lost all that money, right? And we also see that uh, in people who win the lottery. And I mean, some do keep it. Some, some you know, apply wisdom and self-control and not impulsiveness, and it lasts them a long way. But so many more get the money and say, I'm rich, I'm rich. And then they just go and lose all sense of self-control. And next thing you know, they are just as broke as they were before they, they got the money. So self-control over money. And then finally, in verse 25, uh, promises. Self-control with promises. Let's, yeah, it says, don't make rash vows is really what it's saying. So don't just go out there and just, and just make a quick vow without thinking, uh, especially to God, as in Jephthah's vow. Uh, Judges 11, uh, the judge Jephthah, an awesome, awesome story about him. He was, he was the son of a harlot and a, and a nobleman. So he was, a, he was born illegitimately. 
And the Lord allowed him to, to basically redeem himself by leading Israel to victory over the Ammonites. But when he went out to battle, he says, Lord, if you give me the victory, then the first thing that comes out of my door when I get home, I'm going to sacrifice as a burnt sacrifice. Now, I know a mic that works. <laughs> I use it every Sunday. So, all right. So it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay, Ecclesiastes 5.5. 5. And so not only when we vow to God, but also when we vow to others, just other people. Uh, we see that Herod, which is, which is really weird, Herod, being an ungodly king, made a promise that he couldn't go back on. Remember when uh, Herodias danced before him, and he says, I, I swear to you, I swear to you, you know, he was probably drunk. Again, this is why we need to watch our, you know, be, have self-control. He says, I'll give you anything in the kingdom. You know, I just, I love your dancing so much, I'll give you anything in the kingdom, whatever it is. And then she comes and says, give me the head of John the Baptist on a charger. It is not that he was such an honorable man. He really didn't want to make himself look bad because in the, in the presence of all these people, he made this big promise and only to have to turn around and renege on the promise. So we just, just the, the advice here or the counsel here from the Lord is kind of look before you leap, think before you speak, and sleep on it before you commit. Really is what it is. Don't be impetuous, impulsive, impulsive in nature. Don't be like Peter, you know, Peter, I love Peter, but I would not have just jumped out, um, you know, in the water. So think before you leap is, what, is what's being, uh, what's being said here. And the second one is choose integrity over dishonesty. And this is really sincerity, walking the walk, being uh, in action what you say that you are. And you know, this is what I was talking about earlier about, about hypocrisy. And we see in Matthew 23... The, the seven great woes, if you read through Matthew 20, uh, 23, and uh, in two of them, uh, he says in verse 25, he says, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Verse 27, he goes on to say that the Pharisees are, and, and are hypocrites. He says, they are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Again, we are to choose to walk the talk. We are to choose to be outwardly what we claim to be. Right? And really, what it, and what is, the word uh, hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypocrites which means stage actors. So really what it's saying is that you guys are playing like you're on a stage, like you're actors. The Lord is saying we are not to pretend to be uh, what we're not. And, and again, that was, that was my testimony. The Lord delivered me from that. Uh, I, was a, I was a stage actor for several years. I mean, you all heard my testimony. I, I had a marketable skill when I was in college. I knew how to play the piano and organ. And churches would pay a lot of money for someone to be able to do that. And so I marketed my skills, and I took it. I took it. Took it to church, but my heart wasn't right. My heart was not right. So we need to be careful of that. Again, we're talking about sincerity, and the Latin root for our word sincerity is actually sine sera, which literally means without wax. 
And the, 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 the background of this is that merchants uh, in the ancient days used to use wax to cover blemishes in pottery. So if I'm going to sell this jar, and in the, in the flame, in the kiln of, of baking this clay, I got a crack in it, I will cover it and fill it with wax and then paint over it. So when I sell it, it looks like it's, it's unblemished, but in actuality, it has a crack in it. And so the, the trustworthy merchants of the day would put a sign up saying, Sine Sira, that my pottery is without wax. My pottery is sincere. It is what it looks like, and that's what it says. And so, and so that's, this is what the Lord is saying. We need to choose integrity over dishonesty. And, and this quote is awesome. Richard Baxter, uh, if you haven't read The Reformed Pastor, you don't have to be a pastor to read it. It will put you on your knees. And this quote uh, from that book, he says, take heed to yourselves. He's, and the book is basically an, expo- an exposition of Acts chapter 20 when Paul left Ephesus. He says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Lord has made you overseers. But this one quote, he says, he says, take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, and lest you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind as may be the occasion of their ruin, lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues, and be the greatest hinderers of the success of your own labors. That's powerful. How often do we unsay with our lives what we say with our tongues? As parents, how often do we unsay with our lives what we say with our tongues? I mean, it's just such a warning for us as believers. As a matter of fact, there is a verse uh, in, this, in this chapter about our children. Verse 7, it says, setting, in, in terms of setting an example, it says, a righteous man walks in his integrity. Again, our, our key verse here. And his children are blessed after him. So when we walk in integrity, our children are blessed after us. And incidentally, uh, if you didn't always walk in integrity before your children, again, all the days of our lives were written in his book before any of them came to be. You know, again, as a, as a, as a prodigal parent, I'm, I'm prone as anyone to blame myself and say, oh gosh, if I'd only done more of this, if I'd only done more of that, if I'd only said this thing, if I'd only not said that thing. But the Lord uses all of our mistakes. Thank God he's not dependent upon perfect parents. He takes imperfect parents and all their mess-ups and does a perfect work. So we see that the Lord wants integrity in setting an example, verse 9, in confessing sin and wrongdoing, uh, in verse 7, in confessing sin and wrongdoing, in verse 9, we're to be honest about, our, about the things that we do wrong. We need to learn to apologize. Even believers sometimes have too much pride to say, you know, I was wrong. I was wrong with that. Uh, several verses about conducting business. Uh, verse 14, verse 16, verse 17. In verse 19, he talks about keeping a confidence, about talebearers. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. The Lord is basically saying, be trustworthy, be honest, have integrity. And again, these things we know, but the Lord is giving us a reminder here. 
And then lastly, choose diligence over laziness. In verse 4, we see that the lazy man will not plow because of winter. I believe we see some procrastination there. It's like, oh man, it's too cold. And then when it's warm, it's always oh, too hot. And I'll do it later. You know, gosh, it's just so hot. I don't want to cut the grass. Gosh, it's just so cold. I don't want to shovel the snow. You know, I'll put it off. I'll do it later. But he says, when, when the season comes back around during harvest time, he'll beg, which is amazing. You know, it's like you're going to work one way or the other. Either you're going to get out there and plow or you're going to get out there and beg, but you're going to get out one way or the other. So let's not procrastinate, he says. Uh, there's a quote here. Tomorrow is the only day in the year that appeals to a lazy man, Jimmy Lyons said. Or better yet, Mark Twain says, never put off till tomorrow where you can do the day after tomorrow. So let's avoid procrastination. And then finally, verse 13, it says, Do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. The Lord is saying, Be diligent and don't oversleep. Don't be so oversleeping and so lax. Not physically, again, but there's a spiritual application here. Mentally, spiritually. Uh, for, uh, 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And remember when Jesus was in Gethsemane and, this, and the disciples just kept falling asleep, just kept falling asleep. And Jesus said, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is so true, right? If we fall asleep, if we allow Satan to just kind of rock us to sleep, we'll fall into temptation. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to dull our senses. He wants us to not be on alert. He wants us to not be vigilant. He wants to give us any excuse to keep us from being and doing what God wills us to be. Any excuse is good. You know, if the Lord is calling you to serve in a certain way, I trust you Satan's got a million excuses as to why you shouldn't. And that's his, that is his goal, to keep us on the sidelines, to keep us from being what the Lord desires for us to be. We'll close just with this, with this passage. I think that this, is, uh, this really sums up everything. It's Romans uh, 13, 11 through 14. And Paul says, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And then verse 13 says, let us walk properly. Again, I think it just kind of gels everything back together. How we walk, walking in integrity, being awake, being alert. He says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the key. That's the key. This is not just good wisdom. This is godly living. And we can't live godly without the Holy Spirit. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ, just like we talked about in the Colossians study, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So again, what does the chapter reveal to us about God? That He is sovereign. That He is the revealer and the reader and the searcher of hearts. He is the defender of those who wait upon Him. And how are we to then live we are to choose. We have choices to make in our day-to-day -day walk. Choose integrity. Choose honesty. Choose diligence so that we may glorify God in our lives.
Let's pray. Father, we come just thanking you, Lord, for this time and God, for your truth. We just pray that uh, this would just not fall upon our ears, but Lord, as we talked about today, that our eyes would be seeing and our ears would be hearing. Lord, that our hearts would be understanding, that it would be uh, an example of our wills being submitted to you. Lord, you desire to transform us. And you remind us of things that we already know because we're so forgetful. And so we pray, God, that you would just stir us into good works, stir us into walking in integrity as so pleases you. Lord, that you would be glorified in our lives. Help us to be a godly example to others. Lord, to, real, to remember and to realize that, especially in this season, in this nation, this is a dark time for us. And Lord, the world, this nation especially, needs the light of Christ to be shown. You said that we, your church, are a city upon a hill that cannot be hidden. Help us not to hide the light, but Lord, to be those genuine, faith-filled, obedient, submitted believers to draw those who do not believe into the ark of safety. We pray, Lord, that you would just allow this word to sink into our hearts. May it bring forth fruit in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. God bless you.